Solomon grows in popularity and favor as a result of his request for a listening heart, and God shows up at the dedication of the temple. All of this and more as we continue our Year with Solomon. I'm Philip Jackson, and this is the Married Now What podcast. syndrome here okay all right uh well we are going to get into first Kings 4 20 through 34 and then um first kings 9 1 through 9 okay um so i'll go ahead and pray for us first and then we will get started on that father we just thank you for this day and we thank you that you've given us this time to come together and just to get into your word um, I pray that you will um, open this passage up to us and that uh, you just uh, speak to each one of us in a different way. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Okay, so we're actually going to start in 1 Kings 3, 9, um, going back to where the Lord speaks to Solomon after Solomon asks um, for the Lord to be with him as he um, begins to be the king of Israel after his father David. So, starting in verse 7, um, Solomon prays, uh, Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and, you do not, and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and ministering justice, I will do what you asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings." And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I'll give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. Um, so part of, of the context here for the passage that we're, be, that we're going to get into um, is that, that, um, that Shema Lab that Philip has been talking about to us, um, that discerning heart or listening heart. Um, so kind of the, the crux of today is going to be how that Shema Leib, that, um, that listening heart, is the root of everything else that's going to happen to Solomon. Okay, so that's the beginning of everything that's going to happen to Solomon and all of the, um, the other things, so the, the wisdom, the wealth, the honor, those are all fruits of what's going to come from his abiding in the Lord. Um, so that is our, our starting point, is that abiding where we are connected to the vine, and everything else is just secondary to, to that relationship with the Lord. And so we're going to look at how the Lord has blessed Solomon because of um, not things that he's doing, not because he's just an overall great guy, it's just because he is abiding in the Lord. He is um, listening. He is looking to have that relationship with the Lord. And in turn, um, the Lord will bless him and basically take care of everything else um, that's going to be happening. Okay, so um, we have that he asked for a listening heart. Okay, he didn't ask for the, elf, the wealth or the honor. Okay, he went straight to, I want to be connected to you. And so... Um, you know, it kind of made me think of Matthew 6.33, um, where Jesus said, uh, Seek 
his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Okay, so when we're looking for, um, for help in, in life, when we're looking for um, all the secondary things, when we're looking for um, just uh, um, help with a house or um, help with children or, um, you know, all the other things that come with life, it's, it's not the, the products themselves that we should be searching for and seeking after, but it's that relationship with the Lord where we are listening, we are hearing what he has to say, and then all the other things will be given to us later. But if you seek him first, then all these other things will be taken care of. So starting in 420, um, I'm going to go ahead and read through, um, through 28. Okay, so this will be the first section that we'll look at. Um, and so this is talking about the wealth and honor that Solomon had been given through, um, through the Lord as he um, had that listening heart. Okay, so we'll, we'll look at what that listening heart produces um, through Solomon. So the people of Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They ate, they drank, and they were happy. And Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. These countries brought tribute and were Solomon's subjects all his life. Solomon's daily provisions were 36 cores of the finest flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stall-fed cattle, 20 of pasture-fed cattle, and 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebuck, and choice fowl. For he ruled over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River from Tifsa to Gaza and had peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for chariot horses and 12,000 horses. The district governors, each in his month, supplied provisions for King Solomon and all who came to the king's stable. They saw to it that nothing was lacking. They also brought to the proper place their quotas of barley and straw for the chariot horses and the other horses. Okay, so we'll start just breaking this whole passage down. So we'll kind of go verse by verse and see how the Lord provided for, uh, for Solomon in this. So in verse 20, it says that basically the Israelites were free from war at this point. Um, so they were prospering economically, um, and it says that they were, they were happy. Um, so uh, that was largely due to uh, actually his father's success at war from before. So um, as Solomon is claiming the throne, um, pretty much all of these other um, tribes that are close to the Israelites have been conquered by David. Um, so David was at war most of his life. And um, because of David's um, success at war, his son was able to see um, the fruit of that, which David was able to win the wars. Why? Because he was abiding in the Lord. He was after the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. And so the Lord was able to provide uh, this, this conquering of his enemies that are surrounding Israel. Um, so not only were they at peace, they also had economic prosperity. Um, it said that um, they ate and they drank and they were happy and they were as numerous as the sand on the seashore. So um, at this time, um, there's plenty in the land. Okay? Um, and we'll see that as we get into the later verses, but um, there's an abundance of, of food, of, of wine, of um, uh, also because that there's so much of this provision, there's more people in the land as well. When you have better provisions, you get more babies. So you're having lots of um, people are having children at this time uh, because of that economic success and that, um, that abundance that the Lord has been providing. 
Um, so the bigger thing here is that they were happy. Okay, so um, they had found peace and they had found rest under the Lord's hand, um, which was even better than the food and the drink. So um, Jesus said, uh, "It's not is not life more than food and the body more than clothes." Um, so it's not just about the things that they were having, but um, they were have they were full of life. There was joy. Okay, so from that very first first verse that we go through, um, we can see that some of the fruit of listening hearts, um, we get joy, and then we get peace. There's abundance. Okay, so these aren't things that are sought after and worked for, um, although David did put in some work to be able to do that, but that was because of going back to this listening heart. Okay, that's the, the vine that produces the fruit eventually. Okay, uh, so then in verse 21, it said that Solomon ruled a vast area of land from the river to the north down to the edge of Egypt. So north is the Euphrates River um, that runs east to west, and then you have... Um, the border of Egypt, which is really close to Mount Sinai, um, where they had first started out at. Um, so this is more than the actual promised land that was given to the Israelites. So um, they have actually conquered a larger area than the Lord had first given them. So there's actually even more than was first promised. So um, a lot of these these um, these enemies that were first um, trying to basically combat. Israel, whenever they were taking over the promised land, um, David had large success at defeating them and so was able to conquer a larger land, which um, they would also provide more abundance for uh, the land of Israel as well. Um, but because of the Lord's hand, they were able to have this larger land area. Um, so then we get into verse 22. So Solomon's daily provisions, okay, it says there were 36 cores of the finest flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 head of stall-fed cattle, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep and goats, as well as deer, gazelles, roebuck, and choice flour, or choice fowl. Okay, so um, that 30 cores and 60 cores, so that's about five and a half tons of flour and about 11 tons of meal. Okay, so from this, we can obviously say that Solomon was a glutton. No, um, so a lot of this was provisions for the entire um, palace staff and um, also for people that were coming to visit. So um, obviously, because there's such abundance, this is why um, Solomon was able to take in this much. Okay, so it wasn't that he was overburdening the, the people of Israel. He wasn't demanding all of this stuff because he was this lavish king. It's because there's abundance in the land. So just like there's with us, you know, whenever we make more the government ends up getting more as well um, through taxation. So it's kind of the same process. It wasn't because they were overburdening the people, um, as some kings were prone to do, but that because there was so much that was being produced at the time, you know, in the land um, flowing of milk and honey, as the Lord had said, um, there's so much abundance right now that he's able to take in a lot um, and be able to provide that for his, his entire palace staff um, and also his visitors that he has coming to see him. Um, so, you know, he's even able to have stall-fed cattle as opposed to pasture-raised cattle. So these were more fattened cattle. They'd spend more um, time feeding them probably grains 
where they were a little bit fatter than just the natural pasture raised cows. Um, and also just the wild game that people would bring in as well. So um, this is very, uh, it's a very lavish um, meal that he's able to provide. And that's just because of everything that the Lord is doing through, um, doing to the land at this time. Um, but so this stuff, um, the flour provisions alone could probably feed about 3,000 people. So um, he's taking care of a, a large portion of people during this time. Um, and it's not just that he is using it for himself. So moving on to, oh, let's see. So another thing that we get, hospitality. All right, so we move on to verse 24 and 25. So I've kind of lumped these together. Um, so verse 24, For he ruled over all the kingdoms west of the Euphrates River, from Tifsa to Gaza, and had peace on all sides. During Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. So that phrase, under their own vine and their own fig tree, um, actually became kind of a proverbial saying in Israel after this and around this time. Um, so basically that was just meaning a time of peace and plenty, um, and it was an enjoyment of the fruits of their labor. So the people were able to um, enjoy the, uh, the fruits that they had been working so hard to get. So they were able to um, enjoy being under their own vine, getting their own um, sustenance and being able to provide for themselves. Um, so it kind of made me think of, uh, if you've seen Hamilton, you know, Washington talks about being under his own vine and his own fig tree after the war. So basically it, that proverbial saying kind of carried on where it was a time where they could um, go and enjoy the things that they had worked hard for and not have to worry about, um, you know, battles coming in from foreign or foreign wars or um, having to provide too much for um, for a king um, or even just being raided. Um, so people weren't worried about the government coming in to take their property or demanding more than, than they could give. Um, so Solomon didn't take the commerce fruit like the Lord had explained what happened to the Israelites when they actually demanded a king. So one of the, the things that the Lord argued against the Israelites having a king when they demanded it was that he would come in and he would take from their vines and take from their fig trees. Um, and Solomon does well to, to not do this. Okay. Uh, verse 26, so Solomon had 4,000 horses and 12,000 horses. Um, so I actually did a little bit of research on this. So some... Manuscripts will read 40,000 stalls. Um, and so there's kind of a debate about how much, how many stalls this actually is. Um, so some will say that it's kind of an exaggeration. Um, others will say that it's a mistake from um, basically the, the people who were transcribing it put the wrong number, and so it was inflated. Um, so I, I saw that there is actually some archaeological evidence to suggest that it might have been closer to 40,000 or it could have been 40,000 um, because these, um, these stalls were found in Megiddo and they had uncovered a, a large amount of stalls that could have um, maybe held up to 40,000. 
um, and other places it talks about um, how many chariots and horses that other nations had brought to war, and they would say in those places thirty to forty thousand as well. Um, so obviously Solomon was well prepared for any kind of um, any kind of battle that might need to happen if maybe one of these other uh, nations that they had conquered uh, starts to rebel or if um, even people in the tribes decided that they had some disputes. And so um, he was well-equipped to be able to deal with any of that situation. Um, so he is um, thinking forward. Even though he's in a time of peace, he's always prepared. Um, so the Lord is, is blessing him with that wisdom to be able to discern, okay, yes, we're at peacetime, but that doesn't mean that we can relax as David started to do. So once David had started to um, begin conquering his um, the people around him, he started to relax whenever he was getting a little bit older, and that led to um, the the sin that so uh, wrecked his life. And so Solomon here does a good job of of being prepared in that and being ready to um, bring peace and being ready to um, to fight if the the need be. Um, so. Uh, there's also, so some people might argue that um, Solomon was disobedient to a verse in Deuteronomy 17, 16 about multiplying horses. Um, but due to the amount of horses that other nations were carrying, um, it was about on par with what other people were doing. So um, it could have been argued that he was disobedient in that, but just kind of in my own research, it kind of seemed like um, he was fine with how many he had. Um, yeah, so we have preparedness. Don't know if that's a word, but we're going to call it a word. Okay. All right, and then verse 27. Uh, the district governors, each in his own month, supplied provisions for King Solomon and all who came to the king's table. They saw to it that nothing was lacking. Um, so he had 12 district governors. Um, actually, verses in 4, 1 through 19 describe um, his 12 governors and who they are. Um, I'm glad that I didn't have to go through that because they're some of the worst names to try to pronounce in that whole passage. Um, but they are uh, 12 district governors that are taking um, and they're governing over different sections of Israel. So um, this actually doesn't line up with the 12 tribes, okay? Um, this isn't tribal areas. Um, it's actually expanded out to take care of the rest of the kingdom as well. So um, each of these men was responsible for a large tract of, of land that went with the kingdom. Um, and so with that responsibility, uh, they had to provide um, once a month for the king's provisions. So um, just once a month they, were, they had to provide this. So it wasn't like they were being overburdened all year long, um, like some kings would end up doing. Um, and so this was, a, this was actually a very good way of organizing the kingdom, um, probably after seeing the, the struggles that his father had had with um, all the different kind of uprisings and things like that that happened during his, during his reign. Um, it seemed like um, Solomon was kind of using that wisdom again to um, see that he could delegate and he could give responsibilities to people. Um, 
and he could build up that that kingdom and have a little bit more rest from having to deal with every single issue and he could spend more time on the things that he needed to like um, being able to um, run the nation a little bit um, a little bit better and be able to spend more time with the Lord and be able to um, speak the wisdom that we'll talk about here in a little bit to people that came to hear him um, but yeah he was quick to delegate responsibilities um, so those men knew they were what they were responsible for and what would be asked of them, and they were good to provide that for the king. And so that also comes back to that abundance. Um, it says that n- they were they were not lacking, that nothing was lacking. So uh, it wasn't like these men were scrounging around every month trying to get together everything that they could that um, Solomon had demanded of them. Okay, there was plenty. There was nothing lacking. Um, so they were very well able to take care of everything that the king had asked of them. So, yeah, verse 28, they also brought proper place, their quota for the chariot horses and other horses. So they're also able to provide for um, the king's um, army, basically. Okay, so the next part will be verses 29 through 34. So we looked at kind of how the Lord had um, brought wealth and honor to Solomon. And so now we will get into actually the wisdom aspect of, of Solomon, how the Lord had provided that wisdom and what that looked like for him. Um, so in verse 29, it says that um, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Okay, so some versions will read, um, they'll read breadth or largeness of heart. Um, that will go along with understanding. So that heart is lab. Okay, so that's looking at um, that understanding, that heart of the matter. So the heart was um, of the inner being at that time. So instead of thinking, okay, the intellect, the the actual thinking comes from the mind, it was the thinking and the mind comes from the heart. Um, and so this is not just about his his heart for the Lord, but also his his intellect, his understanding. Um, so the Lord was able to give him a, a very breadth or largeness of that heart. Um, so, you know, Solomon's wealth and honor, so listing out all those things that the Lord had provided for him, um, those are very um, those are very lavish, those are very impressive. Um, but people didn't come to see Solomon's wealth. They didn't come to see his honor. People came to see and listen to Solomon's wisdom. So the wisdom was even more impressive than all of the riches and the wealth and the secondary things that the Lord had given to him. Um, so the real, the real uh, meat, the real stuff that everybody wanted to hear and, and the things that um, brought him the wealth and the wisdom or the wealth and the honor was his wisdom. Um, so what we bring when we bring our needs to God, um, He definitely hears them, and He will actually far outsee our expectations. So when Solomon was asking for, um, you know, when the Lord asked Solomon what he wanted, he didn't go for those secondary things. He went for the heart of the matter. He went for um, that relationship with God. Um, and so when we bring our needs to God, He hears them and exceeds those um, because He wants His children to seek Him wants us to to ask for things according to his will. Um, you know, in Matthew 7, 1, it says, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So that's Matthew 7, 11. Um, so when we ask for those, um, the things that are going on in our life, um, our focus should be on how we are growing in relationship to the Lord. Um, because as hard as it is, as much as we want to just fix the problem, um, we have to be connected to the vine. We have to be connected to the root of what's going on in order to understand or be able to um, truly be able to get through whatever is happening. And that's what the Lord wants. He doesn't, he's not as concerned with um, the secondary things that are going on. He's not as concerned with the fruit. He's concerned with your relationship, your attachment to the vine um, and looking for that, having that listening heart. Okay. And then all of this stuff will come because of that. You can't have fruit without being attached to the vine. And the vine will be the one that provides the fruit. Um, so looking at verse was greater than the wisdom of the people of the East and greater than the wisdom of Egypt. Wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, the Ezraite, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda from the sons of Meho. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. Okay, so he was wiser than anyone that was in the area at the time. So wiser than the Egyptians, which if we know much history about the Egyptians, the, the Egyptians were quite wise, um, very knowledgeable about things like engineering and um, agriculture. Um, it says that his wisdom was far greater than theirs um, and also greater than the wisdom of people in Israel. So some of these men like um, Heman um, were people that were in Israel at the time. Uh, they wrote um, some songs that are actually in um, that are in the Psalms, um, and some of them have spoke some proverbs. Um, but his wisdom was far greater than all of theirs. Um, so it was not just a oh yeah I'll give you wisdom. It was a far exceeding greater than anyone else's wisdom that the Lord provided for him. Uh, but it said, well his wisdom spread to other nations who came to hear from him. So. Um, Really, it says that they came to hear his wisdom. Really, they came to hear God's wisdom. Um, because he had that listening heart, he was receiving what God had been um, providing to him. So in 32 through 34, it says that he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish, from all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. Okay, so um, like we were saying earlier, um, yes, his wealth and his honor were great, but his wisdom was what people really came to hear. Um, and that's what um, really draws people to us as well. So whenever we begin to, uh, to engage with the world around us, it's not the things that we have. It's not the situations that we're in. It's the wisdom. It's the the things that the Lord speaks to us during those times that people see and people hear and what really draws them to the Lord. Um, so I know a lot of us have been in situations where we have been going through hard times or um, people around us have been going through hard times and we were able to um, speak about what was going on um, in a godly way, in a godly wisdom. And those people didn't care about everything else going on. It was the words that you were speaking that the Lord had given you. And those are the things that people come to hear. 
Um, so Solomon was definitely gifted wisdom. So it wasn't something that he had built up, something that he had worked for. Um, this was a wisdom that was obviously God-given and obviously provided by the Lord. So he also provides wisdom during this time. Um, but it says that he spoke about plant life and from the hyssop that grows out of the walls to cedars of Lebanon. So that's talking about he had a really breadth of, of intellect and knowledge about these things. So hyssop was like the very common, like basically kind of a, a weed that just kind of grew around everywhere. And the cedars of Lebanon were these huge, great cedars that um, they actually used to build a temple. Um, so from the least to the greatest, he had um, knowledge about them. Um, but this was, this was a gift that wasn't to be kept to himself. Okay. This wasn't just for him to build up his, um, his kingdom. It wasn't just for him to, uh, build up the, the Israelites. Okay. This was for everybody. This was, this wisdom went out to all the nations. Um, and that's the same for, for us and our gifts. Okay. The Lord doesn't want us just to keep them to ourselves and, um, only use them for people that are in our close circle groups or, um, for our families. Um, the Lord gives us these things to be able to share it with everyone, to be able to share it with our church, to be able to share it with um, the people that are in our lives that maybe don't go to church, and also for the other nations as well. Um, so those things that God provides, um, he wants to um, bring glory to himself, and he wants, that, um, he wants to give that in abundance. And so if we are good to use that Solomon was, he will provide even more than, than we had initially asked for. Um, but that kind of talks about all of Solomon's wisdom. Um, so the next part that we're going to look at is um, actually chapter 9, 1 through 9. All right, so this is talking about how the Lord appears to Solomon. Um, so he had appeared to Solomon the first time and asked Solomon for to, he told Solomon to ask for anything and he would give it to him. Um, so Solomon asked for, for a listening heart. Um, so the Lord is going to appear to Solomon again. Um, and this happens after he has finished building the temple, um, and also his palace. Um, and I kind of want to go back just to read this real quick. Um, you don't have to go there. Um, but Solomon offers a prayer dedication for the, uh, for the temple that I thought was really cool and is, um, great to hear before we get into those verses. Um, so I'm just going to read this really quickly. It's a little long, but we'll kind of get the picture after a couple of verses. Um, so Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord. This is in 822 starting there, but, um, then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way, you have kept your promise to your servant David, my father, who with your mouth you have promised and with your hands you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you've done. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. 
but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you, how much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you're here, forgive. Um, so I just thought that was a, a great contextual verse for, um, for when the Lord's about to speak to him now. Um, so Solomon had prayed this after, um, or right before, um, dedicating the temple um, so that the Lord might dwell in it. So he had been sacrificing um, like a ridiculous number of sacrifices um, as the ark was being brought to the temple. Um, and he had prayed this this dedication, asking for the Lord to dwell in this place because um, the Lord had promised to David that his son would build the temple and that he would dwell among his people. Um, and so he, he hadn't yet came to the temple and said that he would dwell there yet. Um, so that prayer was very much a, uh, a very wholehearted prayer asking for and begging for the Lord to be among his people. Um, but starting in verse 9-1, it says, when, Fol- when Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, You shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me, and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you, and go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all people. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this, and to this temple? People will answer, Because they have forsaken the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. Okay, so starting in verse 3, so it says that um, basically the Lord listened to Solomon's prayer and his plea to agree to dwell among them. So this was a very, very big deal. Um, this is a holy God promising to uh, to dwell among an, old, an unholy people. Um, and so without the Lord being here, without the Lord um, ha- having his presence among the people, um, that they would not be able to have forgiveness of sin. They would not be able to truly sacrifice and be able to be forgiven. Um, and so the Lord promising to dwell among his people is a very big deal during this time. It also shows how, um, you know, Solomon had asked for the Lord to consecrate the temple, for it to be made holy, for his presence to be there. Um, and it was the Lord who, who actually came in and sanctified it. He's the one who came in and, make it, and made it holy. 
Um, in the same way, um, we can't just make ourselves holy. We have to ask for the Lord to come into our hearts. We have to ask for the Lord to be with us and, and to be with us. Um, so Solomon himself, though he did all the sacrifice and did all the right things and did all the things that he was supposed to do, uh, without the Lord actually coming and dwelling in that place, then that place is just another house. Okay, It's just another very big building. But because the Lord was there, that made that temple a holy place. It made it a, a place set apart. And so, you know, we have to seek after the Lord to sanctify us and live in us. We can't just do all the right things and hope that the Lord is actually going to be with us. Okay, it's a it's having that relationship, wanting that listening heart so that the Lord can dwell with us. That truly sets us apart. So Solomon had asked for the Lord to dwell in the temple and make it holy. And the Lord was good to come and to listen to him and to actually be among his people. Okay, and then in verses 4 through 9, um, basically the Lord said if someone were to abide in him and his were to abide in him, that he would establish his kingdom forever. Um, that the, but if the people turn from the Lord, the Lord would remove them from the promised land and reject the temple as they rejected him. Um, so the temple was actually a cause for celebration in Israel. So once the temple was built, there was a huge celebration because of this. Um, and this was a time of, of, um, of great celebration and um, of peace and of happiness and joy. Um, but just as um, Solomon was searching for the Lord and was abiding in him, said, look, if, if you stop abiding, your people stop abiding, um, I'm going to reject them. Um, so it's not enough that they are doing things, which um, later, as we see in some of the prophets, I think Jeremiah he talks about, um, the people say, well, nothing bad will ever happen to us because the temple is here. It's nothing unless I'm there. And if you reject me, I'm not going to be there. Um and so if they were to give themselves over to idols or to chase after other gods, um, the Lord would um, make that place a, a place of ridicule. Um, and the Israelites would have no other excuse other than it's our fault that this happened because we decided that we would chase after other gods. So the Lord is always faithful to, um, to give himself to us and to um, be providing for us and to um, be blessing us. But um, it is not for... Um, is not a, a just a one-way street. Okay, we have to be abiding. We have to be seeking Him out in order to have that relationship, so that He can do all these necessary things for us. We have to have the listening heart in order to be able to do that. Um, so John fifteen five says, "I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." And the same goes for how the Israelites were was um, doing as well. So there was an abiding relationship, a listening heart that was asked for, and the Lord was able to provide all these different things for not only Solomon, but for his kingdom as well. So not Solomon wasn't the only one who enjoyed all of this. This was um, something that the entire kingdom was blessed by. And so we're also uh, a blessing to other people as we are abiding too, um, because our, our relationship doesn't only affect ourselves. It affects the, the world around us. Um, so that's just something to, to keep in mind as you guys go throughout your week this week, um, to be looking for that, that listening heart, that abiding heart that is searching for the Lord.
um, especially when the things of life start to pop up um, because they can be so overwhelming and they can be um, so hard to get through, it seems like sometimes, um, to be focused on chasing after the Lord and not chasing after just the secondary things that we want to happen. Um, because if we're chasing after the Lord, everything else becomes a forethought. It becomes secondary. So um, that's so much easier said than done. Um, this passage really convicted me because uh, it's been a very busy couple of weeks and everything that I want to do is just get to the secondary things. I just want to take care of that stuff. But um, it can't come at the forsaking of my relationship with the Lord. Whose voice can come in? If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe to our content. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Married Now What podcast is a ministry of Evergreen Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It is meant to be a resource for in-depth Bible study for couples striving to build their lives on the truth of God's Word. For more information and additional lessons, please visit our website, evergreenbc.org. Come alive.